0: Welcome to listeners, old and new, this is a special big interview. I'm Graham Hunter. In this podcast series, I sit down with current and former footballers to talk about their life, their career, their achievements and their thoughts, sometimes the things that make them laugh, on the sport that we all love. This time my guest is Andy Robertson, Liverpool's left back. Between Andy agreeing to appear on the show and meeting him at Liverpool's Melwood Training Centre, he put in a landmark performance in his team's wonderful 4-3 win over Manchester City. Lucky us, because this was still very fresh in his mind when we met. It's a long way from the fourth tier in Scottish football, where Andy started his career with Queen's Park, but he talked about experiences that gave him an important perspective on where he is now. He's come a long way, but I don't think he's done yet. Far from it, in fact. You can get an extra big interview plus a documentary special every month and hear all our content free of adverts by signing up as a socio at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. This month, only socios get my big interview with Sir Ferdinand and a documentary called Pep Talk that I put together with Jonathan Northcroft, star of Stage, Screen and The Sunday Times. For £2.99 per month, you'll also know you're supporting our show. More at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Thanks to all our socios. We need your help to do this. We couldn't and wouldn't do it without you. As I always say at the start of every big interview, um, we're with somebody that I admire, but we're with um, our youngest guest, um, he's a Scot, and currently he's the darling of the cop, Andy Robson. <laughs> Thank you very much for welcoming us to uh, this historic training ground, it's a kind of nice place to go to work every day, isn't it?
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's always nice when you come through the gates, you know, it's, um, there's so much history behind Melwood, and at the club of course, but... You know Melwood um, back in the day, you know, and it's still here today. So it's a great place to come in every day. And um, you know, once you get here, you just you get excited for your day ahead.
0: But a man old fool like me will be thinking back about you know Shankly and Saint John and Jesus, all of them played before you were watching football. And presumably, what Melwood means to you every day is a chance to be in the first team come a, come match day, but also the crack and and you know the wet and the the challenges and having a manager who's who. Brim's enthusiasm So when you come in Is is the past Just really on a a daily basis You never even think about it
1: It's, It's hard when you play With a club like this You know the past Is obviously such a big A massive part Of this city And this club So But as you As you get comfortable I wouldn't say I'm completely comfortable yet But you know As I come in You know a couple of months Then you know It's all about You know this is your workplace And you start getting A wee bit more used to it And you know, thinking you know this is the time to to work and like you said, try and get in the team on the match day on Saturday. Or it's a great environment to be in. The whole every staff in here, all the all the players. Um, you know, it's all it's all good fun. But um, when it's time to work, it's it's head down and work hard. I was just sitting in the canteen, and got a mug of tea, and I looked out, and the thing that stuns me is the grass
0: is almost luminous. It kind of sh- it shines at you. What's the best thing about coming into work in a place like this every day? The smell in the dressing room, getting the boots on, I don't know, the, the crack. Do you feel the same when you see grass?
1: We're we're very privileged in what profession that we do. You know, a lot of people are stuck maybe behind desks and they don't get to... Like, we're outside every day kicking a ball about, which, as a kid, you you dream of. And I'm sure people still, my age, will still think, you know, I wish I was doing that. And it's the best job in the world, I always say that, and I'll always stand by it. And um, when you come in, you know... You, if you're in this job and you're... Mo- of course there's hard times, but you know, if you're more than doing this job, then um, you should look in the real world.
0: The product of daily work is, is that thing that happened at the weekend. You know, whether you play for Liverpool or support Liverpool or City or not, we saw a game whereby when the manager was on American TV, after it had all died down <laughs> on the pitch with Lee Dixon and Grandma, so he went, well, you can look at it as a football coach or you can come to it as a football fan and go, what the fuck was that? <laughs> So, Andrew. So, what the fuck what was that? Yeah. <laughs> as, a ga- as games go, right, irrespective of your participation, what have, have you ever seen or thought of a ninety-minute match like that in your life before?
1: It was, it, it was a game that was played at a million miles per hour. You know, we didn't get our breath back. Probably, you know, we were all in the change room and nobody was really speaking because it was just one of the ones. Like, what did just happen out there? And you know, the gaffer, and he's, I think he just let that loose in his, you know, post-match, but you know, for a neutral point of view, I think like all my friends obviously have a look into me, but you know, people you follow on Twitter and all that were just loving the game as a as a neutral, you know, lots of goals, two good teams going at it and, and the attacking football was incredible. And defensively, you know, even though there were seven goals there was still, you know, a lot of big challenges, you know, tight at the back, especially first half and it was just one of the games that That's football for you It's one of the games that will probably go down And everyone will look back at Especially at the end of the season And go, you know, that was that was a right good game And, you know, the most important thing was We came out on top of it That was, if you don't come away with the three points Then I'm sure Man City have quickly forgotten about it But what a game And it was brilliant to be a part of I saw, you know,
0: watching it yeah. sort of Heaps of talent That's obvious Pace Commitment But I wondered To what degree did strategy or tactics help you win the game and therefore I wanted to go back before it what was the manager's messages to the team or to the defensive unit or to you and, and I'm also genuinely really interested for in the listeners. no trade secrets obviously but one of the things that people probably don't think about a lot is that footballers are asked to carry quite a lot of information and if you play three times a week That's three different big chunks of information about team tactics, about an individual opponent. One, what's that process like under Jürgen Klopp for you or the team, the actual information delivery? And two, what happened on the pitch compared to what he was asking you all to do?
1: as the manager and all the staff that are behind them, they they don't leave, you know, their attention to detail is is incredible. So, you know, like you said, we do get a lot of information before the game. We usually know how, how we're going to set up, you know, we that's what pre season for. We drill it in and, and that's our favoured way to play. Of course we've changed our formation a couple of times this mm-hmm. season where you need to adapt, but you know, usually we ha- we have the same formation and we know where everyone should be, but against Man City there's there's that much that they do that We were, I think, we were quite lucky in the way that we played Friday against Everton, and we had till the Sunday, so we had we had a whole week. So one day we could focus on ourselves, the next day we could focus on man City But sometimes you don't get that much time. No, and you know I think it was just you know the gaffer just drilled into us that on our day we can you know we can cause people problems, and we showed that we had we knew we we were going to get tested defensively, which we did, but. We tested them going forward, and we we capitalised on their mistakes. Tactically, was was there a, a was it was
0: his point at any stage? I think that if your pressing is really intelligent, and they don't get time on the ball, they may make more mistakes than they've shown for weeks. Or was that
1: not an idea? I think idea? it was. I think it was more trying to press them as high up the pitch because you know a lot of people go and play Man City now, and they just sit back and try yeah. and defend for yeah. ninety minutes. Yeah, some people might get lucky and get a draw, but. They're they're world class players You can sit back And you know I've been at Hull of course And against the big teams We did just sit back and defend. Sometimes Mm. we would get A 0-0 draw But in other times They would pick you off anyway So sometimes it's better To have a goal But we've got world class players So we knew If we could win the ball In dangerous areas Then we would cause some problems And that's what In that 8 minutes That we scored 3 goals I think that's what happened You know Mo Salah won the ball High up the pitch We forced the keeper Into a mistake We forced John Stones Into a mistake That Roberto managed To capitalise on So All these mistakes added up But I think it was because We were putting pressure on them High up the pitch And they didn't quite know How to deal with it
0: I think you know that I've I've lived in Barcelona For 16 years now And I was so fortunate That when Guardiola Took over at Barcelona I was able to be a witness And learn a little bit Yeah You know Because I do try and pay attention And pick up One of the things that the players said That wasn't commonly talked about was They were sort of Hanging on every word Pep And I know you're supposed to do that With every manager But all managers are different people, communicate differently. And he has this exceptional way of um, communicating. But what they also told us, that group of, of and Iniesta, P.K. Messi, whoever, were like, that the, the more he tells us, do this and this will happen, and it happens, our belief becomes total, you know? So have you experienced that when you see kind of what he tells you to, or the group of coaches tell you to do and on a game like Sunday, it all comes true in, that, in that, those three big moments that change the game does it reinforce your enthusiasm for the message and your, your sort of belief
1: yeah 100% you know I think it's you know no matter what kind of like level you play at it, it's easy to get you know a couple of clips and go look they do they do this but we have we have that much information that, that we get to see it you know in a lot of their previous games and we knew how they would set up, we knew their fullbacks would go high, and you know, the gaffer kind of set us up a wee bit differently how to defend against that and make sure all the half spaces were covered when we go and press and don't leave any space in behind. And we managed to do that. So, for instance, if you know they like to switch the ball a mm. lot because they've got pace on the wings, whether it's you know on my side it was Sterling and Walker, so whoever it was is, is rapid. Yeah. So, we I was maybe waiting to go across, the and then you know, I had a midfielder that was inside me. Because that kept the centre backs in, and the midfielder could cover the ball down the line. Because Man City's movement is this season, especially, has been ridiculous. That's why they're twelve points clear, and realistically, they'll probably go on and win the league. And, and it's all because of that. But luckily, we managed to stick to the plan that the manager gave us.
0: What's your level? What's the intensity of concentration when all of those things, those jigsaw pieces that you've just listed like that? You know, on a personal basis, what's how? What's in your head? As you're doing all these things correctly,
1: I think you just get so fixed on the game. Really, like I know myself, I just go out there, and you do need to remember these things. Of course, you do, because if you make a mistake with these things, then you've not got a leg to stand on. Really, because I totally the, the manager will say, you know, we showed you, but you know, I think that's maybe why the game was closer than it was because we put so much into eight, six, eight, seven minutes that. You know, the last five minutes Maybe, you know It was just a wee bit Of lapse in concentration And that's why We can see the day two goals And it was a wee bit tighter Really, it should have been A more comfortable evening uh, For us But, like the manager said I think in his pre-match Never mind post-match He said, it didn't matter If we won 1-0 Or, you know 3-2, 4-3 It was all about getting Three points that day And we'll have to look At the last five minutes But you know, if you play that good for 86 minutes, then usually you've done enough. Objective achieved. Yeah.
0: I, I'm not a great authority on NFL. I don't know if you know anything about American football. But it, it draws me in. So as I try and look back over the years, there's always something like Joe Montana's moment is called the pass. And then there's always the catch. So let's talk about the run. <laughs> <laughs> because it's got mythical status already. Um, and I bet you're going to tell me I was just natural,
1: of course. There's always...
0: What was going through your head?
1: What was I didn't really want to be that far out of position, if I'm honest. But when I came in, um, you know, I was thinking I was speaking to one of the lads about it, and it was just every pass back, they all gave me a sniff of the ball. I thought, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. But you know, if maybe the first pass was a wee bit firmer back to the, I would have left it because that's me done my job. I forced my winger back. But at that moment in time. Mm we just scored three goals, we were 4-1 up, the fans were magnificent, everyone was right on top of us, so we had an extra 10% and I thought, after the first press, you know, you heard everyone up and then I was like, I need to keep going and, you know, I don't think it was a foul at the end, if I'm honest, but I couldn't. Usually I'd run up to the referee and argue, but I was completely out of breath. I would just, like, get back in position and focus. But it was just one of the moments that... But especially when I went To the centre half Because I think Everyone now knows How good their goalkeeper Is with the mm-hmm, ball yes. So I knew He wasn't going to launch it I knew he was going To take a touch So I knew He would give me You a were touch, a step ahead Yeah So luckily like He was so composed On the ball I thought he'd maybe Panic but <laughs> he didn't care But, you know, obviously, it was just, it did catch quite a bit of, um, you know. But
0: apart from the the fact that, because if you go from our point of view, as much as we learn about football and love football, and and everybody on social media, everybody loved it. Because you can really quickly and cheaply say, look at that commitment, that's fantastic, that's what I would do if I... But I think we've had enough interviews where we talk about, you know, what kind of environment is there under a coach or at a football club? And creative risk risk management in your head about what kind of environment is there a blame environment can you you're you were analyzing there or certainly you've got a very good version of what was going through your head at the time there but analytically you were going "That's the right thing to do it might be oh but it's your brain was functioning it, it, are you just like that naturally or is there a, a culture here of acceptance that if you think you're doing the right thing and you take a creative risk if it doesn't quite come off th- there won't be blame unless it was
1: directly disobeying a tactical order do you you know what I mean? Yeah of course I think you know everyone's seen us this season and probably since the managers came in really that you know he likes as soon as we lose the ball then it's all about you know pressing and trying to get that ball back because if we've got the ball then we can control the game Mm -hmm. we can't concede goals when we've got the ball we can only score goals really so you know I think from the terms of pressing I don't think he'll ever tell somebody not to press he would maybe prefer that we were hunting in twos and threes instead of just one man pressing but you know, I knew if I was I was to go there I think it was um, Gini Wijnaldum I knew he would cover Into left back I knew somebody would Drop into midfield So from that point of view If they did get through Then I would just Have to get back But people would have Been in my position That's really good to know This is the pre-season training This is the work yeah. That you've done already
0: the, You don't have to look They'll be sl- the, My smart colleagues yeah. Who've got the same work ethic Will be slotting Into where they should be
1: Yeah it's not You know it's not about um, You know it's about Learning other people's Positions as well It's about You know if Especially, you know, he likes our full-backs getting forward and when we go forward we need protection, of course we do, because if we go 40 yards and put our r- rubbish cross then they are on the break, so we need people covering us and that's the way it always has been, but we also need to cover our centre-backs or mm-hmm. our centre-mid if they go wandering, mm-hmm. so, you know, it's, it's all about learning other people's positions as well as yourselves and I think, you know, as a squad we're, we're quite good at that. And we have
0: because so many people listen to us, we ask them occasionally for questions. So, Ben Cropper has written in to say for Andy, as one of his players, how best would you describe Klopp's vision of heavy metal football? Now, you've, you've described a bit of it there, but is, is that more to say? And, and I've heard the phrase, what is heavy metal football?
1: Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not entirely sure yet either. Okay. Um, but, you know, the Gaffers' way of playing is very attractive. I think that's why, for instance, we can get, you know, the new signings, for instance, Virgil van Dijk had the pick of the clubs really and and the the meetings with obviously you know when he came in and spoke to the manager then that's what sold him um, you know the club obviously the, the history and everything sold him but I'm sure I know from my point of view the first meeting that I had with him was a very successful one and it did it did take me time to get used to the way of his style of play of course it did um, you know what were the points of adaptation what did you have to from my, from my point of view It was Like I, like I said previously when we, when we were at Hull And in the Premier League We defended more so So my mindset Was more trying to Change from We're defending Against these teams And now mm. I'm The actual attacking team You know mm. When Liverpool Came to Hull We tried to hit them On the counter We sat back But now We're the ones So I think I think in my you know, In my debut Against Crystal Palace I had more touches Than anyone on the pitch But I probably had More touches than Any game I've ever played In my career Because We dominated the ball. We had about 80% possession, which I've never really been involved in. From
0: having seen you previously, you'd be quite happy with that, though. Yeah. You would want to be on the ball. Oh, 100%. There are many successful defenders who, the less time they're on the ball, the less threat that's going on, less chance of mistake. But I didn't anticipate that's not your point of view.
1: No, it's, you know, I was was delighted because it meant that I was making an impact, I was putting crosses in the box, I was driving forward. But, you know, to get your concentration is completely different because. Of course we cannot switch off defensively Because we get hit on the counter-attack Because we have most of the possession in most games But now your concentration is also Right, when I'm in the final third I need to pick the pass, I need to do that But in Hull we would maybe, I would maybe have Two attacks, but now I'm having Ten attacks, so it's now Your ratios are a lot different And you know your percentages have to be a lot higher And, and that's something that I'm still working on And still trying to adapt because you know, probably especially recently When I've gotten the final third You know, crossing and stuff like that Maybe hasn't been up to scratch But it's just because I'm putting in more crosses now So I yeah. just need to get that consistency Of if I had three crosses at Hull Two would be good mm-hmm. And that's fine mm-hmm. But now having maybe ten crosses at Liverpool And maybe six are good But that's not good enough in my, in my terms So, you know, it's just about improving and All the time and, and learning under the manager And in my opinion There's no better, um, you know, to learn under Do you do extra? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I look especially after games. I think it's key to you know we all get a clip sent out that's just individual clips, and you know I always take you know half an hour out of my time to to look at them because I think even you know the bad stuff you need to learn your lessons, and that's why you don't. Of course, you learn stuff off the good stuff because it makes you feel good, but you learn more off the bad stuff because you think you know, the next time that isn't happening and, you know, I've always been like that even when, you know, I was up in Scotland and I was down at Howard, I always kind of took time out to look at that but, of course, if you think there's a area to improve on then, um, you know, people do extra outside in the training and especially, you know, young players because we're not the finished article and
0: some, some coaches, I don't know what your experience is some coaches say, like the training session finishes half 12 you're in the door everybody in we've talked to a number of pros and you know there are some who had to push back against the coach saying no I'm going out to, to hit the ball 25 more times whether it's a free kick or a penalty or a shot or a cross or whatever it, are there rules about you know you can't do extra can do extra and, and you know out there and actually saying I'm taking an extra half hour and everybody else has gone in
1: I think I don't think the manager will ever stand in your way whether it's you know maybe a day before a game or two days before a the game then maybe he's like you know lads everyone um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know we've you got a game in two days and it's not really the time but especially you know when it's Saturday to Saturday I think lads do take time out to whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch you know, whether it's gym work or whatever then sure. they maybe take time out because that's when we've got a longer build up to games but you know the amount of Saturday Saturday games we've got is very you know it's minimum and when it's three games a week then it's all about getting your body ready really for the game and it's about maybe you know taking it easy but when it's training go 100% in training and then when it's over you know get in and, and relax so you know it just depends what you've got on really that week Well if we step away from actual football for a second do something special is happening here from
0: watch from a distance the fact that those four players one of whom was going out was the Fab Four Liverpool will always have a very very special strong um, robust probably working class football culture it's probably one of the most popular and known football cultures anywhere in the world but as society changes as people change I think the atmosphere its from when I was younger the atmosphere has changed here Yeah, there's something now where there's more of a fusion between the crowd and the team or maybe the playing style or maybe the crowd and the manager and the, and the playing style and, and you know like it or not you seem to be a part of that, and yeah. that I guess it's nice that the crowd chants your name, whatever. But what is the relationship between a Liverpool player and the fans, and, and what does it feel like? And and do you ever you never play for? It, I suppose do you? Or I
1: think I think you always like, every player wants the fans on board, and I think you know as. A squad And as you know The 11 that go out there We all want the fans To get behind us Because we know If the fans are behind us At Anfield Then they can give us An extra yard And I think On Sunday That was a big factor They maybe put the fear factor Into some Man City players But they gave us An extra 10% It does impact on you Is that the... 100% Because if you if you know The fans are cheering Everything that you do Then you're like You know They're behind us So it gives you Maybe that extra yard It gives you that Spring in your step wow. But you know I think From that point of view That our our squad Does that You know, we don't let our standards drop, so if somebody's maybe slacking a wee bit, we're told straight away. You see the manager, how active he is on the side of the park. (laughs) I don't want to know what distance he covers in a (laughs) game either, but you know, he gets the fans on board, he gets the players, he's always shouting at us, he's always getting us going. And when you've got somebody on the side of the park like that, then it's if you're ever maybe struggling or whatever, then you can look over and you know, he'll come on and get you going. And if you can't react to that, then um, you know, I suppose. You're, the, gonna, you're, gonna industry. Be, you're gonna be struggling, yeah, you're gonna be struggling in this industry, yeah. And it's the cop. Yeah. I mean it's the cop. I know. When you're you know, when you're when you're shooting down and you're going towards a the cop then I think you know, there's no better feeling. Um you know, celebrating in front of them and all that Especially, you know, like against Everton When we scored late on and stuff You know, Big Virgil would nodded home And, you know, all of them going wild And, you know, the cop's famous And, you know, if you ask probably every supporter in world football Do they know about the cop, then I'm sure they would Well, what about you?
0: Now, your parents are both with us, right? Mm. Um, so I guess it's exciting and emotional for them As proud parents and people who have had a big role In how you've developed But your dad was a good footballer
1: yeah, he was. Yeah, up until he had a, um, you know, he had a back problem. But you know, my uncle played at a decent level and stuff like that. So football's always been based. My dad was good pals with Charlie Nicholas and Jim Duffy. That was my fellow kind of like,
0: guest on this series, Charlie Nick.
1: Yeah, Charlie Nicholas. Who my family and his family are still very close. So um, my dad's always been involved in football, and to be fair, my mum's always been involved in football. Both of them had season tickets at Celtic from an early age, and. Me and my brother joined in when I think I got my first season ticket when I was 18 months old at Celtic up until I was 18. So I've been going all my life. But, you know, obviously when I started playing with Queen's Park and it was Saturdays and I was playing all the time when, you know, Celtic were playing, we had to all give it up because my mum and dad wanted to come and support me. Of course they did. And I couldn't go to the games anymore. So then, you know, their support kind of changed. And, um, you know, obviously they always supported me, but um, we always went together to Celtic. But then they were going to, you know, maybe like the lesser stadiums as such as like your Mars and Berwick Rangers to come and watch me so you know they've both been very supportive of me throughout my career And
0: I was thinking because you know I knew that um, Charlie was a family friend and Charlie turned Liverpool down Yeah, like, sat and explained to us in, in this same big interview about how Kenny and Graeme Suarez were on the phone and said this is right for you and Charlie was just a tiny bit headstrong about I'll go and find my own pad somewhere else and make my own impact and he talked to us about really how Brutally, He suffered in London as a youngster And he yeah. called for his sister to come down And just be with him and be a companion for him Because he was lost and lonely Which you'd, you'd never believe about Charlie With his confidence and his yeah. flair and so on and so forth But mentioning that because presumably Liverpool Meant to him what Liverpool kind of means to me at, at my age You know, the moving, swaying cop You know, the anthem dominating You'll never walk alone Dominating everybody's appreciation of social culture in football so when Liverpool comes along for you, is it extra exciting for him? Did he have a relationship with
1: Liverpool? Did he, you know, Celtic Liverpool is Liverpool, they're not miles apart. Yeah, I think the only, the only relationship we had, the, the first thing he said to me when it was coming was that there was you know, one day that he hated Liverpool in his life and that was because Kenny Douglas left Celtic. <laughs> of course. And that, that was the, yeah, that was yeah, the yeah. only reason. And he said... Once he got over that, and then he supported Kerry Douglas at Liverpool again. So it, that was, you know, I hated it itself to get lost such I, an icon. So I
0: feel that like when when Everton long for your born Saint Joey Harper, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. took me about twenty years to forgive them. Because <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> yeah. he's the King Joey of
1: Aberdeen, yeah. you know. And I, I, so yeah, I sure know exactly what your dad. did oh. yeah, But um, you know, obviously for them and for my brother and for my girlfriend and all that, it was you know it was a massive moment for us. And they all came down when I was signing and. We went to, you know, we went on the tour of the the stadium and stuff. Um, not that we needed to know the history of the club, but you know, it was nice to take in and you know So you know, they love coming down to the game. They love watching and um, obviously, you know, hearing my name getting sang and that. You know, it was a proud moment for them. You know, never mind me.
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash loss. You, you, through Eden Queen's Park, I'm um, extremely interested in that because, again, across this series, we've talked who would have been the most powerful, and it may be Damien Duff, for example, about the atrocious way that kids of his age were treated as apprentices. But he wouldn't change a thing of it. Yeah. And it made him. Yeah. And he went into some detail, including about kid Douglas, <laughs> about how tough that was at Blackburn. And now again and again and again, we'll talk to maybe managers in this series who say kids are not made of the same stuff anymore. Now, I guess it must have felt shit that somebody got it wrong at Celtic and said, to you, you're not right for us, you're not, you're not going to make it. And you end up at Queen's Park and you're doing if I'm not wrong you do a lot of those tasks for a different reason because Queen's Park is a different kind of club it's an amateur club yeah. so you have tasks and work at, at, at Hamden, and it, it might not have felt so good at the time but I think I'm asking how did that feel and do you think looking back on it retrospectively did it change you or teach you?
1: It was, the, it was the best thing that happened to me and now obviously looking back on it like you said you know, being a kind of boyhood fan of Celtic and stuff it was obviously tough for everyone that was in, you know, me and my family getting released and all that, but it was the best thing that happened for me because, like you said, you know, it's hard because I'm still young as well. But you do look at, you know, kids that are at the big clubs early doors, and there's very few of them that you know have that kind of like old-fashioned stuff. You know, you know, it's it's partly everyone's problem as well because we've been we allow them, you know, maybe they pay them too much money, maybe. You know, we don't give them the jobs that like all of like I used to, you know, clean even when I was at Dundee United, that you know, I was playing I got a Scotland camp stuff and I was still cleaning boots mm-hmm. because we all got jobs and that mm-hmm. was it and you had to do it. You got obviously you got rewarded at the end with, you know, a wee a bung or whatever at the end of the <laughs> season, but off one of the experienced pros. But, you know, that just keeps you on the ground when we had three of us that were doing really well at the time of me, Ryan Gold and John Sutter They were obviously two years younger than me but you know, it did keep us on the ground because we're thinking, right, I've scored a goal at the weekend, right, Monday, cleaning the boots after the game, you're cleaning, you know, the experienced pros and it helped us massively and at Queen's Park, obviously, we've done the same and I think that's maybe gone now um, because, you know, the the higher up you go, um, even when I was at Hull and stuff, you know, the young lads didn't really have any jobs or anything like that and, you know, they maybe just get, you know, they maybe just get comfortable. It's important, I think, to keep them all hungry and they should be hungry anyway, but... Keeping them on their feet, and
0: hard work and slightly unpleasant yeah, course, tasks.
1: Yeah, make you dig a yeah. bit deeper. Right? Like, it's no secret, you know. Footballers are obviously wrapped in cotton wool as such, and they yeah. don't really know what the kind of world's like, and you know whether that's like sweeping the changing room, cleaning boots, or whatever. Then you know it's a task that people don't like doing, but it's something that I think as an apprentice you should be doing. I, I, I believe that anyway. But I'm sorry to plagiarize it because
0: um, you've told other people it, but. It's such a cool story. Tell me about Vinny Company. Um, How does your relationship with Vincent Company begin? Um, (laughs) And and how does it end? I say that because I absolutely admire him so much. He's slated for this series. We were talking to somebody yesterday who knows him really well. He says, "Mm, football coaching, he'll be brilliant at that, but he might not do that because he'll probably be the president of Belgium. He's so political and bright. So I'm a huge admirer and I'm led to believe that you two are close.
1: So how did it be? (laughs) I wouldn't quite say. OK, all right, all right, all right. I don't don't think we have a relationship. I don't think... I think if you sat here with Vincent Company and asked if he knew me... After Sunday, I know it's going to be a little bit more... But let me take you back to Hamden. Yeah. Um, Well, I was working. I was only 16, 17, and basically when, you know, Scotland played or there was concerts on, then, you know, the guy Andy McLennan would bring us in and give us, a ten pound an hour or whatever. So we'd work three hours and we'd get thirty quid and we all thought, Brilliant, you know, we're working with our teammates. It's brilliant. Mean, if it's a good gig, I would take ten yeah, pounds an hour and yeah. work there now. So um, you know, Scotland we're playing Belgium and I think Vincent Company was injured, so, you know, I was just walking by and I, I I gave him a programme or whatever and that was that was about the extent of it. I just said, Oh, do you want a programme? he said, Yeah and I walked off and he's probably thinking, Who's that? But um and then I think um Somebody tweeted him when I was at Dundee United just after I'd got my Scotland call up. And I think he'd tweeted back saying, you know, it was an inspirational story and all that. And then, um, you know, I think that was the end of it, really. And then, obviously, a couple of times I've played against him, but, you know, he probably not I just like the it. fact they sent you a message, I think. Yeah, yeah. I just thought, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, to be in touch with. Yeah, especially reality. when I was at Dundee United, you know, all the, uh, like, next day in training all the lads were slating me and everything I was to join. I wish I kinda of wish he never done for that day but then once it once it all settled down, you know, obviously it was for such a you know, for such a good pro and a good you know, a good player, um, to kinda of take out his time to, to tweet that was, was nice. Kinda of feels like he is in touch with football and reality and dreams. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, for know. all the
0: slagging that you took.
1: Yeah, for all the <laughs> slagging, yeah, you must get, you know, a lot of tweets every day and you know to see that one then obviously he thought it was worth it but you know now it's probably forgotten
0: about (laughs) So that one covers Rayman Mohamed's question which he was asking about great to see a Scott does it give you a different perspective if you've worked a little bit for a
1: living Daryl Garrity, a great supporter of the podcast
0: who was your hero and who did you model your game on?
1: Well I wouldn't say I modelled my game on but as any Celtic fan growing up in my age my hero was Henry Larson of course it was um, what he'd done for our club was uh, unbelievable and I think everyone loved him. What did he do for your club? Describe him. He took him. To, you know, he basically—I wouldn't say he carried the club because we had a really good squad. Then, mm. The likes of you know Stan Petrov and Chris Sutton and John Hartson and all these top players, Neil Lennon. But for him to stay at Celtic for so long, especially when you know a lot of big clubs were after him, was was brilliant. And you know, he just the amount of goals he scored and. You know, especially that you know, when we got to the UEFA Cup final, um the amount of goals you scored in the campaign and, and obviously, you know, everyone was gutted that you get beaten in the final to Porto but I think no more so than him after scoring two goals, you would think that would be enough. But mm. obviously that was the start of Jose Mourinho and, and Porto. They went on and won the Champions League the next year as well. But you know, what a career and what, what a player and it was one that that's why Parkhead was probably sold out because of Henrik Larson and um Did you mean, watch how he played though? Yeah, I think he's, you know, he's moving, he's, he's finishing, he's finishing was incredible, you know, he, he knew when to, when to chip it, when to blast it, when he, and for somebody that was, you know, five foot, whatever he was, in the air, he was... It, it defies know, belief. What, oh, what a leap he had, but, you know, I was quite fortunate, because obviously I was growing up, and at that time I didn't know I wanted to be a fullback. you know, I played a numerous of positions, because, you know, you were probably playing with three teams at that time, so you played all different positions, but... You know, I was quite fortunate that I got to work under and watch, you know, Jackie McNamara because he was, you know, a great fullback for Celtic. After. Both he and
0: his dad were classy footballers. Yeah,
1: and to work under him at Dundee United for my first professional year set me in good stead, and I'll always stand by that. And since then, I've been, you know, I've been really lucky to have such a good coach. Um,
0: Henrik came to. I was very fortunate. Again, I was in Barcelona. And Henrik came to Barcelona, and I knew what a good player he was. But to see Henrik Larsson getting a bigger cheer when he came on than Ronaldinho was getting, yeah. at that club that demanding club with legends everywhere. And for them, he broke his leg in the November Classical in his first season, was out, watched the system, had learned it by the time he came back in, and in a season and a half, utterly stole their hearts, everybody around the club. It was a truly extraordinary phenomenon. He's obviously, he's a good role model to learn from, but I did want to get from you whether you'd, Taken things from his playing style and applied it to your attitude or your movement? Well,
1: I definitely don't have the finishing that he (laughs) does, nowhere near it. (laughs) I I would love to, but um, no, from that, you know, his attitude was, well, from a fan watching, you could tell his attitude was spot on because he didn't want to miss a game, and when he was injured, he was gutted, and, and when he came back, he was in top condition, like you just said. and and that, I think that sums up a, you know, a top pro. Peter Gordon is, is
0: more of a comment than a
1: question. Top class
0: performance against Everton and Manchester City. The cop belting out your name. Music to the ear of all Scottish fans keep doing what you're doing as it's just great to watch by the way when will you let Sterling out of your pocket you don't have to that's, <laughs> let's just let that one lie yeah. Chu uh, Chu Nguyen um, says for Andy Robson how different is it playing for Liverpool as compared to Hull is there a huge difference in culture and facilities maybe the, 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 the facilities um, comparison is about unfair but w- what did Hull and Steve Bruce teach you and um, how did it feel did you make your Premier League debut against the reigning champions and beat them Against Leicester
1: No 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 That wasn't my That wasn't my Premier League debut Because we got relegated The first season I was there My Premier League debut Was against QPR Away And we won 1-0 But the first game Was against Leicester When we got promoted again But um, no my first game Was QPR Away um, What kind of experience Was that it was it was brilliant. I don't think um, I was only in on the door a week, and we played against Stuttgart in a friendly. And I managed we put, I played wing back. and I managed to score at the back post. And then um, and then on the Friday just before the game, Liam Rossigna, the right back, he was going to play left back for the game against QPR, and he I think he injured his hip or something. And then the gaffer had pulled me in the morning Saturday and said, "Look, I'm going to throw you in," and you know straight away you start thinking of like. You know this is the Premier League, and you just you just start thinking. You hope it goes well and everything. And we won one now. We kept the clean sheet. I think I cleared one off the line, and you know I played well, and that that just set me in good stead for how um, you know I obviously gained the manager's trust massively in that first game because that's what it's all about. And uh, from there, I don't think I really looked back. Are you, are you, do, you, do You ever get nervous? I don't. I wouldn't say I get nervous in terms of you know I'm shaking to go out or whatever, but. You do, there's there's different games that you get a wee bit you know we fire in your belly I always have fire in my belly whoever I'm playing but you know, there's adrenaline yeah like for instance you know the derby and against Man City you know there was a wee bit and like when Scotland played England you know it's one of the games that you knew you're like this is a big game here we go do you know what I mean and, and it's just about all using that kind of you know that energy in the right way because you know some people can use it in the wrong way yeah. some people can use it in the right way and I think that's where I'm quite good because uh, you know I can I can u- usually I can use it in the right way and and put in um, you know a good performance. I, I go back to the Hull thing. What
0: did Hull and Steve Bruce teach you?
1: Steve Bruce done you know a lot for me because the um, character, eh? big character. I, yeah. I'm a fan. I yeah. like him.
0: He's great, been very good to me over the years.
1: You know, great character, and I think you know he's he's good to he's good to a lot of people. I think in the squad he has this personality that all these players just wanna, you know, run through a brick wall for. And that's that's why Steve Bruce is such a successful manager, because he has that he has that about him. And um you know, I was gutted when he left Hill, you know, obviously for one reason or another, but um, you know, I actually met him on holiday uh, this summer and I had a good chat with him and, you know, he was just telling me if I ever need advice then give me a phone and, you know, he was such an influential figure that I've had and um, you know, I think it was what, two two and a bit years I had under him and you know, it was um, ended in promotion, of course, and
0: it was um... in a, a promotion, not just like that. A goal in the semi-final, yeah, for you
1: and an on goal in the second <laughs> leg. Yeah, let's just <laughs> strike that for the <laughs> yeah.
0: But the three nil first leg win was enough to cover out that two nil yep. second leg defeat. And on goals don't count. Yeah, <laughs> don't go count. Through, exactly. If you go count. through, and then the final. What kind of experience is that? I mean, joyous yes. and you win, but that must be a big coming of age moment when you play with that much pressure. Also people talk about The amount of money That's on Is there more pressure In that game
1: When I look back On that day I hated it Up until 7 o'clock At night When the final really, was really. The problem The problem With that game was What you want Is it's an early kick off Because you don't Really sleep at night yep, It's the yep, adrenaline And yep. you know All the lads Were up early We had to wait Till 5.15 It was roasting hot And all that But you know, and the
0: City Probably for the week before Is,
1: oh, but, is just on you It was, it was bouncing um, You know the City was And you know obviously we, Like You know I think The Sheffield Wednesday fans Were brilliant that day I, I'll stand by that They were magnificent <laughs> The Hull fans You know they were outnumbered But you know They made their noise When they had to But you know I think as a footballer You don't think A lot like from the outside Everyone says you know This is the 100 million pound game Or whatever But me you don't really think about that. You just think, we've got a chance here of you know, walking up the steps at Wembley, winning at, at, you know, this massive stadium, and, and our whole season could lead up to what we've tried to achieve. And that was the biggest thing for us. That was, that was the biggest thing for us because we knew we didn't want to disappoint. We had a good squad that season. Really, looking back on it, we should have probably been more contenders to going up automatically. Stadium. But once we got in the playoffs... Derby were a bogey team that season. They mm. beat us at home 3-0 and we get beat away 4-0. So we were a wee bit, you know, we need to get by Derby, we need to get the... But, you know... That, so that first game, that first game was gigantic. Ma- that first game was massive for us and luckily we came out of the blocks and we blew them away. And then the second leg, we were, we had a lead to protect mm. and we should have been better because we should have just went, you know what, it's now now try and I, go and I win the game. I remember watching it and I was thinking, they all over the place, I don't know which, what, twist yeah. or stick... Because we got in at 2-0 at half time, and I remember the gaffer walking in and for the, that was the first time I think he didn't really know what to say because we had, like, all he'd said during the week and the 10 days leading up to this game was, it uh, goes out the window. We need the boys to, like, we need to come out of this shell. Start 0-0 again. Because it was hard because in the, even the first half when they went 2-0 up, you know, we were wasting time with throw-ins and stuff and I, I couldn't get my head around it cause, no. like, we we're 2-0 no. down here. But that's what it is And that was my first real That was my first real experience Of you know A two-legged tie But match management Is a difficult art Yeah it is Yeah And I think You know we've got I think I've Well I've got better At it Um, You know we obviously We got to the League Cup Semi-final last season With two legs over Man United And it was a wee bit better And stuff like that But um, you know That was my first experience And it was really hard To get your head round Because you're thinking You're 2-0 down here But you're going through So relax And I remember Derby had a massive chance Early on in the second half And I think if they took that I don't think we would have got there Did you talk to yourself during games? That game I did <laughs> <laughs> That game I was Trying to shake myself up mm-hmm. And shake everyone else up Because we all went in a shell There was not one of us That performed that night But it, At the end of the day The objective was to get to Wembley And we'd We're done it, are and, you, it. Yeah, yeah. and with that I remember after their big chance I think it was about 50 minutes It was Craig Bryson Came off his shin And he just put it wide And then after that they never had a chance, and we had a couple of chances, and then that's when I felt seventy minutes or so we were. I thought we were there. I thought we were quite comfortable.
0: And you hated the, the you know, the tension or the the long wait and the the heat. But the the day of the final ends well. A talented Scott scores. I think if I'm right, is it grass scores?
1: No, it's is this was it it the final. The AMI. The AMI the AMI 4, yeah. Sorry I set it up. Yeah, very talented footer. I, I had a golden chance as well. I <sighs> missed another goal about seven yards out. I think it was ball was bubbling To be fair It was a, ball it's ball a terrible bit It was a, a ball. Ball. Oh, terrible bit Famously Terrible bit <laughs> Tattiefield Aye <laughs> yeah. Aye but, um, Who could expect you To finish that one To be fair That day we can, we controlled that game I thought That was a good side Just better on the day We were Even though it was 1-0 And it was tight We were We were a good team And we had chances And we can I don't think Sheffield Wednesday Really had a shot on target so. The only thing was the last ten minutes. They brought. I don't know if you remember that season. They had about four massive strikers that big, Nahoo or whatever Yeah, I know you About mean. six foot six, and he came on, and then the big other lad came on, and we were just hanging. I think his name was. He, we were hanging on and hanging on, and then you know the final whistle. It's just it's party time really. <laughs> it, well, that's a great phrase because
0: one of the things we do really badly in this industry is we ask a footballer manager in a moment of. Their head is exploding. There's you know, it's Times Square, Hogmanay, there's fireworks going off, and how do you feel? And there's no chance of getting some sort of magnificent thesis of an answer. Fucking brilliant is how I feel. That's what everybody wants to say. But like, when you have that joy of we've done it, we're up, and you compare it to having lost a cup final uh, with United and the stress of the second leg against Derby, and it begins to sink in, what's the process? How do the pieces fall into place? Yeah, we really are up. Or the first face you see that you know, or you yeah, know, it
1: was, How I, it yeah. How does it unfold? I remember walking down the steps, and obviously all our all our family were in right. My mum, dad, and um, Rachel, my girlfriend, were all sitting there, and I just I just grabbed them all three of them. I think at the same time, and you know, just hugged them all. And me and Robert Snodgrass had shared a. We got a box for all our other families. Like my yeah, brother, sensation. my uncle, all that were there. Yeah, but that was that was stressful when your box got cancelled the day before we were going down. Mr Snodgrass <laughs> had failed um, and then we had to sort a new one. So we had 20 people coming down. Oh, no, no, talk about stress. With no tickets, but do you know what? Looking back on it, we said that the next day. We said, do you know what? That took our mind off the game, okay. which was actually a nice yeah, yeah. distraction. But if it didn't get sorted... Did I he was, claim he planned all this? No, you? I was killing him. I, <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was fuming at him. And um, I was lucky it get sorted, but and then we, we went up to the box, still in our kit, we ran up to the box, yeah. and... Um, just everyone was going, you know, but bunch classical boys mental. Just going mental All oh, our pals, everyone And it was just, um, and it was brilliant And then obviously we went, you know, we had a big family A big family party back in um, the hotel We stayed at London And it was great because, you know, everyone was in a good mood And your season was over And it was just like, you know, you can sit back and
0: Premier League, here we come
1: Yeah, Premier League, here we come Did, Does that joy with Hull in
0: any way kind of draw back The loss of 500 miles Because you say here that um, Michael Dawson's version of 500 Miles was so bad that he ruined the song for you forever. So how does it, like, losing a great song and and winning
1: promotion with Hull, how does the whole thing... Michael Dawson's... Talk us through it. (laughs) Him standing up in that chair, singing it, is up there with the worst experience I've had in football. he just signed, and obviously I was... Knowing Michael Dawson You know Watching him Playing the Champions League Playing for Tottenham Being the captain Everything like that I thought He's going to get up there Be confident And enjoy it He went up And he was a bag of nerves And he just <laughs> oh, he was, oh he was He didn't know the tune to start He didn't know how it went He forgot the words So then he wanted me And um, Snods And Alan McGregor To sing along We weren't singing along no cause We danger. were making it as awkward As we it's could It's on him and you know, since I've heard that song again, I, I, I don't like it. I turn it off straight away, and it's a shame. It's a good song. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: was. It was. Look, we're winding up. Your time. You've been very generous with your time, but that again, um, I'm not looking for any state secrets. But Coutinho has moved over to where I live, and um, I well remember a couple of years ago, Gary McAllister saying, "This guy in training, she said, 'Graham, you want to'." You know he's a Barcelona player. You just you won't believe. And For a man of that talent, of Gary's talent, to mm. say that about Coutinho, other than what we can, you know, see from watching
1: him, what are Barcelona getting, in your opinion, at least? And Matt, he's, his talent is second to him He's he's a world class player, and you know, fell in and training and everything. He, you know, he doesn't leave any stone unturned, and I think. It shows the person that he is. More importantly, you know, obviously there was a lot of rumours in the summer. Um, you know, I don't think he had the fact that he wanted to go. But when he came back, a lot of people's heads go. His and form his, was super. his form for the f- five months was brilliant. And what you know, the goals he scored, the, the assists, everything that we done. And it was a massive part for our, for our team. For this, of course, you know, the manager, all the players, all the fans would have loved him to stay until the end of the season. But. When, it, when an opportunity comes like that for Phil, you know, I think you've seen his post on you know social media, or whatever. It's a dream come true for him. And at the end of the day, the manager decided not to stand in his way. And for Barcelona, they've gained a world class player, but more importantly, you know, a lovely person. And um, you know, for somebody that is that good a player, he's, he's down to earth, and he um, was great to have in the squad. And um, you know, he's one have, of these guys
0: you can trust in any situation.
1: I give him the ball because I know it'll stick, or he shows for the ball. Oh, he, he wants ball. the ball anywhere, doesn't he? He comes and shows everywhere and anywhere, and his composure and his technique is is unbelievable. And to play for a club like Barcelona, I suppose it has to be and for the price tag that they paid. They had to be sure on him, and um, you know, I think it will. I think it's good for both parties, and I think it will definitely pay off for the player and for and for the club. Talking about greats,
0: then and finishing on this, um, you know, your dad was a little bit cross it for the proper percent <laughs> Ken Douglas. But Kenny's still a big a big presence here. Do you notice that? Do you, do you hear from him? Do you see him around? Yeah, he, t-
1: he texts he text me quite a lot. Um, he actually, he, he texts me after the game against Man City and he pressed the FaceTime button by mistake at 23.55. <laughs> <laughs> and he was FaceTiming me. And, you know, it was one of the moments I, I was asleep and I woke up in the morning and, I, like... You still like showed my my girlfriend straight when I was like look like that's Kenneth Ogley and that's just like it's like wow but like you know he's he's been he's been brilliant for me since the day I went in and you know he's always asked you know him and his wife about you know I mean my girlfriend sitting in is you know my kid, is he okay did we need anything everything like that and that's that's the kind of man he is obviously um, I was lucky enough to be at the game that the stand got unveiled and it was obviously a proud moment for him and his family but. It just shows you what um, impact he had on this club, and you know, obviously, I know it from Scottish football. He's got a massive impact on, you know, Celtic and Scottish football as a whole, and what a player he was. From what my dad and that say, so you know, unfortunately, I wasn't. I'm not old enough to quite know how he played, but I, know, I now know him on a personal level, and as a man, you know, you couldn't ask for for much better. You seem to be
0: carrying on the, the Scottish legacy quite nicely. Um, <laughs> a fabulous pleasure to. Watch uh, a Scotchman who plays football the way I like to watch it For club and country <laughs> And uh, not a surprise given the research we did To find that you talk about the game um, as entertainingly as you play it uh, Andy Robeson, thank you very much
1: Thanks very much That was great fun Thank you
0: Hope you enjoyed that moment a bit you did This interview was put together with help from Kenny Miller at the SFA and the marvellous Matt McCann at Liverpool, a Champions League-level media man, someone who's dedicated to great storytelling around his football club and who, from my point of view and your point of view, needs to be valued and appreciated. Most of all, it was down to Andy Robertson, a talented, considered, and interesting young man. Gracias crack, as they would say over here in La Liga. Finally, a reminder that you can get an extra big interview plus a documentary special every month And hear all our content free of adverts by signing up as a socio. By signing up as a member, join us at Patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. We need you for two pound ninety nine per month. You'll also know that you're supporting this independent show that we produce and fund ourselves. There's more on this at Patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Thank you to all our believers, our members, our socios. Small details are big surfaces.